Come Sunday, we're on track for a modern day Frost versus Senna. Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz, the two most dominant drivers in F1, taking the track in Suzuka, the home of the epic battle of Senna and Frost. Interesting take. I like it. We'll roll with it. Welcome to Turn One, a Formula One podcast. and jeremiah welcome to turn one a formula one podcast we're your host thomas and jeremiah today we are looking ahead to the 2023 japanese grand prix at the suzuka circuit this this race has come and gone in the years with covid but we do have max verstappen as the current reigning champion from last year and this year as we get through our preview you might uh you might get some predictions out of us who knows Jeremiah, what are your thoughts kind of going into this race before we look at the track and the history and predictions and all that? It's a very rainy race historically. Yes. And it doesn't matter what time of the year that they seem to make this race. They've tried moving it around multiple times, but it always ends up raining. So I assume we're going to see some wets and interaction going for this weekend. And you know what? It's interesting because this is also the time of year. We, we mentioned in the open, this was the, the scenes of the Prost and Senna battles. Uh, I think Jeremiah had the note that it might have been um, Nikki Lauda and James Hunt, right? Going at it at Suzuka. It's because this, this track always falls in like a battle time for F1. It's either during upgrade periods earlier in its history, or most recently, it's towards like the back third of the season where you have championship battles unfolding. Now, recently, the championship battles have either been Lewis Hamilton winning it all or Max Verstappen winning it all. But you've got a lot of those midfield teams trying to work their way up. And as we've seen Ferrari, Mercedes and McLaren in the past couple of weeks really making strides towards that number two spot in the constructors and the drivers. Japan could play another crucial role in that this year and weather just adds to that craziness because it's essentially free game at that point, like anybody could take it. Yeah, it's one of those where, I mean, I went back and I watched the 2022 one just to kind of freshen up before we went ahead and did this preview. It's a wild one. It really is. People fly out. I mean, as soon as that rain starts to hit, you don't know if there's going to be an hour delay before the race starts. You don't know if they're just going to say, ah, just send them out there. We'll be all right. Or if you're going to see a couple laps from the safety car as they test out the terrain just to make sure they're good to go. But it's always made for some pretty interesting racing. And I, I feel like I'm pretty excited to see how this one unfolds. And correct me if I'm wrong, last year, they didn't run 75%, right? It was less than that. It was less. They didn't have an, I didn't get to see the actual lap counter just because of the fact that it went to a time limit rule instead of the actual lap rule, just because of how long of a dragged out red flag it was at the beginning of the race. I want to say, I mean, it was supposed to be like a 60 lap race. And I want to say they only did 30 laps, maybe even less than that. Very short. 
there was confusion because like I mentioned, this is a crucial race in the season because it's, it's where drivers can kind of win the championship. It's one of the earliest times that they can do that. And last year there was confusion around both penalties and the scaling of points. And when the race ended and they did the driver interviews, they didn't know that Max had won the driver's championship until after he had already completed his initial interview. (laughs) So the way that the race ended, if you're looking at the actual track, was Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, who was the second person in that driver's standings challenging Max for the first spot, and then Sergio Perez. Now, Charles Leclerc dive-bombed a corner or came in too hot, something to the effect, but he picks up a five-second penalty on the last lap, and it wasn't until after the actual race when all the cars came back into par for a and they were lining up to do the driver interviews afterwards for the top three finishers that I think the FIA finally made the decision on uh, whether or not he was going to get that five second penalty. And, and so giving it to him, he falls to third Sergio up to second. So after they're already done interviewing Max and they bring out Sergio, they stop the Sergio interview, push him back over to the side, bring Max back out to let him know that he just won the 2022 driver's championship. Very awkward. So as we've been going through this, I wanted to just get clarification on how the points were awarded. And man, okay. Again, I, I've said it before. I like Max Verstappen. I like Red Bull. I really liked early stages of Drive to Survive where he was the young kid on his way up, challenging the system and fighting the man and all that good stuff. I don't know. <laughs> but I can also see how it'd be very easy to not like Max Verstappen because listen to this. Do you remember why they changed the scaling for points? Because of that 2021 Belgium race. With oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the rain. So this is 2022, right? And this article literally says, the FIA completely bypassed the new scale of gradual points they got and awarded Max Verstappen and other drivers full points for the race. Thus giving him the driver's the championship. championship. <laughs> now, he was going to get it no matter what. Sure, but when he gets the 2021 driver's championship thanks to the help of the FIA and then he gets the 2022 championship early thanks to the FIA, you're starting to see a pattern here. It's like, okay, we have the, favorites in this sport. That's the optics fine. the optics aren't great. And anytime it says the FIA bypassed a rule they made... <laughs> It's never good. Okay, let's look at Suzuka a little bit. What do you got on the track? So as far as the track, you're looking at 18 turns with the most famous one being turn 15. That's going to be 130R, which is funny enough, only named because it's a radius of 130 meters, 130R. But they take this entire left, massive, long left-handed turn flat out. So essentially what you're looking for is you're looking for a good exit off of uh, turn 14 to set yourself up for the straight that leads into uh, 130R, sorry. And then you're going to be flat out through that entire thing all the way up until turn 16. Turns three through seven are known as the S curves. It's literally if you were to take maggots and Beckett's. What? That is such a hard turn to do in the video game. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's literally, if you take Mackets and Beckett's, or if you were to take the Austin S-curves, it's basically the same thing, but it's just winding lefts and rights and trying to keep your pace throughout the entire thing. You don't want to get too low because then you're going to get caught from behind, but you don't want to have too much speed because then you're going to go flying into a runoff. The entire track itself is 5.807 kilometers not the longest track, but pretty long in comparison to some of the other ones that we've had recently. 
And it's also, fun fact for you, the only circuit on the F1 calendar that crosses over itself. That's interesting because, like, you know, we thought early on that Singapore did because it looks like those two kind of corners meet, yeah, but they, they don't. don't. They're just right next to it. And then in Baku, it does the same thing, but it is cool how it kind of bridges over itself. I will say the S curves three through seven, it's like if you took the Coda uh, chicane and made it twice as long and then also uphill. Yeah. Uh, or like you mentioned, maggots and Beckett's, it's very, very difficult to do. And that 130R turn is pretty crazy because they come out of a, it's not a hairpin 13 and 14. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a big U, you know, but yeah. they kind of dive through these woods because Suzuka is not in a big major city for Japan. It's kind of out in the country a little bit. It's in a smaller town. And so between turns 14, 15, and 16, you're just racing through the woods and the trees and all that. And it looks really cool because they are going flat out through that section. So it's a neat track. I wish it didn't rain almost every single year so that we could see it at its peak performance. Uh, but there's always a story nevertheless. Okay. Who is our fastest lap holder for this track? In 2019, well, it depends on what website you go to because I got mixed results here. It depends on whether or not you want to include qualifying. If you don't include qualifying, we're looking at Lewis Hamilton in 2019 doing a 130 983, which is insanely fast. But I, I threw a comparison out here just so you could see here again how fast these cars are going in comparison to your daily drivers. The Formula One cars, Lewis Hamilton, 130 983. The Porsche Carrera Cup, 203 873. So we're looking at a 30 second difference in the times between the Formula One cars and the Porsche cars. So we mentioned the fastest lap for almost every single race. And it's interesting because like you said, Hamilton was what, 130 and some change. And then the Porsche Carrera Cup was 203. Sometimes it gives us an idea on how a track runs, whether it's more wide open or whether it's more aero focused. I don't really have a good sense for Japan. It seems like a very balanced track because not only do you have that wide open space between 14, 15, and then between 18 and one, but you also have the S curves that we mentioned. You have hairpins that, that book in the track ones and two with 13 through 14. You've got several chicanes and then you've got a legit hairpin between turns 11 and 10 and 11. So I, I just don't have a good sense of like how a team prepares for a track like this. What do you do? Well, well it's actually funny that you mentioned that because it's, it's actually pretty well known as a track. That's got a little bit of everything in it. It's got these long straights. Like you got, Everywhere, or everything from 14 to 16 is all flat out, just full power. You've got the hairpins, like you said, you got the S curves. It's it's a little bit of everything in this track, and that's kind of why it's one of my more favorited tracks, minus the rain. And I guess that's why, you know, these teams have strategists, and we, we like to poke fun at the strategists because that's usually where a lot of errors happen on race day, but if you're going to a track where you have to have a very neutral car setup, and then you also throw rain into the mix, it's kind of hard to fault anybody for decisions <laughs> in situations like that. Okay. Track history. Let's talk the most recent years, starting with last year. We talked about the rain delay a little bit, but do you have anything that stood out from you in your rewatch of last year's race? <laughs> a lot. Uh... <laughs> I'll I'll, tr I'll shorten it as much as I can here. So the race itself starts off with a massive delay because the, the reason why is because when it starts, they actually are able to run three laps. But in those three laps, Sebastian Vettel does a full 360. 
um, Carlos Sainz crashes out, which is actually what triggers the red flag. But in that Carlos Sainz crashing out, I can't remember which AlphaTauri it was. I want to say Pierre Gasly, but one of the banners came off from the wall and actually got right up on the front wing of Pierre Gasly, basically completely taking out his vision. He couldn't see anything. Wasn't it a giant Rolex ad? Yeah, it was <laughs> a green Rolex ad. <laughs> A lot, a lot of other spinoffs before the red flags, like I said, finally came out. All the, uh, all the cars go back to the pits, and everybody gets fixed up, obviously, except for Carlos Signs, which you know that sucks, but whatever. The race ends by time limit, like we talked about earlier. I think it was only about forty minutes to the race or forty-five minutes to the race instead of your regular two-hour time allowed limit or whatever the laps uh, that are set. Verstappen's weird crowning that happened because of the Leclerc penalty at the very end. And there was one other thing that happened. I'm trying to remember it here. I mean, Alex Albon crashed out with Kevin Magnuson, but that was early on as well. That was another. Oh, Sebastian Vettel, after spinning out and ending up in last place on the very first lap of this whole thing, finishes the race in sixth in the Aston Martin before the Aston Martin that we know today. And then he decided to hang it up. That was it. That was peak Sebastian Vettel. What a man. Never got any better than that. There was one other note that came from last year, aside from the weird awarding of points and the, the race aren't going the full distance. So there was controversy around safety cars, and this is a track that's had a history. Uh, we won't get too far into that, but it's had a history of some incidents. And the FIA all of last season had done their rotation of race directors, right, which came as part of the Michael Massey deal with Max Verstappen's 21 championship. They actually abandoned that after this race because they liked one guy. So they kept one race director for like the final four or five races because the guy running this race didn't do the safety cars right. <laughs> so not only did the FIA said, hey, we're not going to give our gradual scale for not running 75%. We're also just going to drop this whole rotation thing that we've been doing. It's been working the whole season. And apparently the drivers did not like that. Because I think they kind of started to like the idea of different people running races. There's not one person in control. They can't play favorites. They can't right. make a spectacle out of it. So I'm not entirely sure what they're doing this year, but it's crazy that one race, kind of like that 2021 Belgium race, one race in a year can cause three to four major regulation changes. <laughs> I'll touch on the previous two Grand Prix before that one. It was uh, 2020 and 2021 both canceled due to covid <laughs> i will say this to give you a little bit more context about what i hope to see for the 2023 japanese grand prix 2019 and back for six years all mercedes dominance valtteri then lewis lewis nico lewis lewis and then it goes into red bull dominance obviously of those sebastian vettel years so i'm hoping with lewis's track record here at singapore or not singapore sorry uh, in Japan that we're going to see some good works from Mercedes. You know who else has two victories in Suzuka? No. Fernando Alonso. <laughs> 2006 and 2008. He's coming All back right. to the top, boys. <laughs> I will not, say this. He's not going to have a 25-second pit stop this week. I will say this. In 2020 or 2022, I talked about Sebastian Vettel going from last place to sixth place. I didn't say how he got sixth place. He made his way up to seventh. And then on the last lap, him and Fernando Alonso had a 
duel to see who was going to get that six spot with Sebastian Vettel getting it there at the very end. But it was really cool to see two former champion champions battling it out in middle of the pack cars. I thought it was pretty sweet. Okay. Fun facts and then predictions. What do you got? The home Grand Prix for Honda. Now they're not technically the engine provider for Red Bull anymore. That is Red Bull powertrains, but they are in works with Honda while they kind of get their feet to get feet underneath them until 2026. And I think that's when Honda is going to make the switch to Aston Martin full-time as their engine provider. In case you didn't know that there's a little fun fact for you. This is also the home Grand Prix of a young Yuki Sonoda. Oh man. Let's hope he can actually start. start. The race. Yeah. <laughs> Man, two weeks in a row, the guy gets kicked out on the formation lap and then doesn't start. Yikes. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Predictions. Um, I think mine might be a little more controversial than yours. I'm going to play that card, so maybe go first. I'm going to see the Red Bull back to the side of dominance. We're going to go over Stappen at the number one spot. And for number two and number three, I didn't really. Here's my problem. Two and three. Here's what grinds your gears. <laughs> two, three, and four is all a tie. And I'm going to say that signs Hamilton and Norris. I genuinely feel like Russell's not going to be in it for some reason. I just feel like his confidence might be a little shaken from last week. I don't see Leclerc being a big name competitor. Obviously he's going to be up there probably in the top five, but maybe not for the podium spot. And Lando Norris has just been so consistent as long as McLaren can deliver them a car. That's decent. So I just, I see, I'm going to go with signs at number two and Hamilton at number three. So science can kind of keep this path of excellence that he's been putting out recently, but we'll, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning multiple different ways. Okay. I I agree. I think that's a safe pick, though. Oh, you're you're playing the odds. You we got Valtteri winning the whole thing, don't you? No, uh, <laughs> I'm playing different odds, but they have greater than a zero percent chance. <laughs> All right. Okay. In my fourth and fifth spot, give me the Ferraris. Ooh. I don't know which order. Probably Carlos ahead, but four and five. For my third spot, give me Max Verstappen. Wow. Okay. I, okay. I saw a lot of issues out of them in Singapore. Strategic errors. The car wasn't performing like it was supposed to. I think they're going to use this as a chance to figure some stuff out. I don't think they're going to be running full speed. Like, they're going to be running full speed, but I think that they're not. Something happened last week, and they're different. Meanwhile, Mercedes, McLaren, and Ferrari are peak performance for their seasons right now. So they're competition. So Max Verstappen, number three. Number two, give me Lewis Hamilton. Interesting. He's got a great history here. Number one, first win in Formula One, Lando Ooh, Norris. Ooh, Lando Norris. What a pick. He's been doing well. He is He's still due. not an elite. He's still not an elite driver, but the car is definitely performing now at a level that can win a race. With Red Bull struggling, this is his only chance. This is he's he's got he had last week, this week, and maybe one more race before Red Bull runs away with it at the end because they smoke the last half of the season. He, this is the week to pull it off, kid. I can see why yours are controversial. I'm going to disagree with you heavily on the Verstappen placing three, and I'm going to explain your little Red Bull messing up fiasco that you seem to be stuck on. 
they had one strategic mistake in the last 40 races. That goes back to previous seasons. One strategical mistake. So I highly doubt that's going to happen again. As far as why their car wasn't performing the way that it should, they just got it wrong in practice. And as far as the setups go, and far as far as where they went, where the, I mean, as far as how the car should handle going into all the different turns, they just did not have it set up correctly in Singapore. I feel like that's going to be easily fixed in Japan and they're going to be right back to it. I feel like this was just a little blip on the radar of their success dominance train. I think that they're going to replace components for this next race too. I think there's a strong chance they do not start in their starting grid position. Mm, That factored into my decision. And again, I think if we're going to make crazy predictions and I don't even think it's that crazy. If you're Lando Norris, you've got to get a win this year. And this is, it would have been last week or this week. That's your best shots to do it because Red I mean, Bull's he is dominating. Due, man, he's got second like three or four times. He's due. And I would say, you know, Piastri could be in that mix too, but he's he's clearly just not quite on the level of Lando. I think Piastri just, will just be. Not he'll there. be great. He's going to be great. It's his, it's his rookie season, but he, you know, Lando's been doing this for what five seasons at this point. So I mean, he's got a little bit of a, a lead on. It might be six seasons for Lando actually now. As far as we talked about the podium spots, the one, two, three, you went as far as four five. So did I kind of, but what do you expect to see? Obviously I'm going to go with Red Bull back on top. And then I'm going to agree with you with the Ferrari McLaren Mercedes continue to fight for the second spot. I don't see that going for the fight for the first spot, but let me hear kind of what you think or you're expecting to see in Japan. So one quick thing of clarification, I want to get Liam Lawson's running this race, right? Yeah. Give me Liam Lawson to get another points finish. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Give me Yuki to not finish the race. I believe it. <laughs> um, you know, we've been seeing a lot of good stuff out of Pierre Gasly recently. Um, obviously, seeing a lot of good stuff out of Albon. Even last week, he finished 11th. But, you know, that's that's still above where he should be finishing in the car that he's in, to be honest. So if if you can have the top five that I gave, get Gasly in the points, Albon in the points, and then Liam Lawson, that's almost your full top 10 Maybe Ocon sneaks in or something like that. I'm not. I'm not looking for anything out of the Alfa Romeos this week. Um, I don't think. I don't think Haas is going to pull off another points finish. They just rarely do that consecutively. <laughs> no Alonso, huh? Oh, I forgot about Fernando Alonso. Uh, you know he can be that last slot in the top ten. Kick Esteban Ocon out. Spot? Dude, he had a 25 second pit stop. They're falling apart at Aston Martin. <laughs> It's, it's a they disaster. Need that, they need that new facility. <laughs> when he, when they showed that video of him jumping that curb in Singapore, Just coming in hot, and then his car in the pit with the poor rear jack man just couldn't get the car off. The he car. just kept moving the back end, but it wasn't going up. <laughs> he'll be, I'm sure he'll be in the top ten. I can't believe I forgot about him. Thanks for reminding me. But I'm I. I don't think Aston Martin's making noise the rest of the season. It's a Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes show outside of what Red Bull's doing. I agree with the Albon and the points again. I would like to see Liam in the points again. I don't know that it actually happens. I expect to see Alonzo in the top seven, probably put him at either seven or six. Just because, you know, even though he's, it's faster than the Alpines, man. I mean, you, you can't say that it's not. It is faster than the Alpines. They had an off day where he went slipping and sliding in a 24-second pit stop and went flying over curbs. It was a bad week. I'll give it to him. 
but he is Mr. Consistent in that Aston Martin getting more than what that car should be able to get always. So I could definitely see him getting like a seventh or sixth spot, probably not in the top five. I would love to see it, but I just don't see him competing with the Ferraris, McLarens and Mercedes. It would have been really interesting to see how the season would have played out if Ferrari and McLaren's upgrades didn't take like they did. Those upgrades that they rolled out smoked whatever Aston Martin brought. I would like to see what would have happened if Aston Martin had brought the same kind of level upgrades that we've been seeing of Fernando Alonso battling with Lewis Hamilton, battling with Carlos Sainz, battling with Lando Norris. Oh, that would have been awesome. But he seems like he's just a step behind him. Okay, anything else for Japan 2023? Yes, guys, enjoy Liam Lawson. Daniel Ricardo is said to come back in Qatar, making Liam Lawson's last race at the AlphaTauri seat as a fill-in for Daniel, this race right here in Japan. After that, it should go back to Daniel, assuming everything goes accordingly to plan, and we'll hopefully see Liam Lawson in a seat next year at a different team. I'm adding to my predictions. Yuki will not finish this race, and AlphaTauri will replace him with Liam Lawson. Yikes. That is home Grand Prix. No, the week after. They'll let him okay. they'll let okay. him DNF in his home Grand Prix. <laughs> Gosh. Alright, guys, let us know in the comments who do you think is going to win. And if you're picking Max Verstappen, give us a little more context. Give us your top three if you're picking Verstappen as the winner. Guys, if you think that Mercedes dumps George Russell and puts Liam Lawson in the seat next year, I'm on your side. Or dumps Lewis Hamilton. (laughs) Jeez, seven-time champ. Gone. All right, guys. We'll see you. Bye, guys.